0: No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, everybody. If you liked the Nothing But Nylon podcast and would like to receive more hopefully smart basketball content, I've started a weekly newsletter that you can get for $5 a month. If you're interested, you can go to my Twitter page at NBA Couchside and click on the link to my Patreon page in my bio. Also, there's a sample of the newsletter on my website, nbacouchside.com, about Milwaukee's Giannis Antetokounmpo. Thanks and enjoy the show. Welcome to Nothing But Nylon, the Nylon Calculus Podcast. This is episode 11 with our guest, Krishna Narsu. Welcome, Krishna. Hi. Uh, So today with Krishna, we're going to be talking about a couple of different things. We'll be talking about uh, his article on the impact of changing teams. We'll be talking about uh, the impact of length on uh, shot defense and just defending shots in general. Uh, And finally, kind of talking a little bit about uh, the superstar uh, supernovas that have been going on throughout the league in terms of stats. And uh, obviously James Harden and Russell Westbrook's uh, absurd stat lines are indicative of that, but uh, it's a part of a a larger trend that uh, Krishna wrote a little bit about and probably talk a little bit about the MVP race there. Um, Krishna, thank you for for coming on.
1: Great to be on.
0: Um, All right. So just, just get into it. Uh you wrote um a while ago, probably close to the uh to the trade deadline about um the the impact of of, of changing teams and kind of what the correlations are to that, uh, especially as as it relates to team you know, when you move between diff- teams of different quality, uh and, and kind of what that does to your uh, different uh, statistical uh, or rate statistics. So, uh, could you just talk, uh, tell the audience a little bit about what you found and uh, what you think th- those uh, findings kind of indicate?
1: Um, so, a lot of the correlations. So, basically, I looked at the difference between uh, the statistic for the first team the second team, and then the SRS different um, difference. Um, SRS coming from Basketball Reference. So.
0: So, um, so j- I'm just going to jump in real quick. For anybody that doesn't know, SRS is called Simple Rating System. Uh, it's basically just margin of victory adjusted for um, your your the quality of your opponent, so your strength of schedule. Um, it's a very simple metric for determining uh, team quality. Uh, sorry, I just wanted to make sure everybody knew what we were talking right. about. Yeah, <laughs> no, I know. Uh,
1: yeah, it basically measures the best teams versus, um, and so uh, and. What I found is that the uh, the correlations that were the uh, largest, or um, I guess depending, the largest and negative, uh, were both assist percentage and usage percentage, and uh, and that makes sense because if you go to a better team, you're going to see your usage drop, and if you go to a better team, you're probably going to have less opportunities to accumulate assists. So they're kind of interrelated there, um, and uh, a few other correlations. Uh, so three-point attempt rate, which was, I guess, a little surprising. Uh, correlation was 0.16. So, I mean, not that great, but um, something there, I guess. And um, I suppose that one was probably the most interesting for me because um, you don't necessarily think you're going to increase your three-point attempts if you got a better team. But I guess that does make sense because... Um, yeah, your role might change, and uh um, yeah, if you're taking less shots, maybe you're taking more threes. Um,
0: yeah. yeah, I was gonna say, I think uh, the the interesting thing about the the three point rate is like you, it wasn't necessarily even like adjusted. You know, this, these correlations were not adjusted for position or anything nope. like that. So you're seeing. Uh, so that maybe explains a little bit of why the correlation was weaker between three point rate uh, at the the positive side versus assist percentage and usage percentage because those things are kind of a little bit more universal to all player types, whereas three point rate is more of a perimeter player thing. Um, so that was, that was, that's interesting that it's still a positive correlation and it was like the most significant positive correlation. But you know it, it kind of makes sense, right? Like the you're if you're on a better team chances are you're going to get more open shots and you know if you're on a better team you're also probably going to be on a team that maybe is better coached. so those open shots might more frequently be from uh, behind the arc because you know typically the better teams understand the value of the the three-point shot Um, and you know the Notwithstanding the, the fact that the Spurs love to shoot mid-range jumpers, even though I, I know for a fact the Spurs uh, understand the value of the three-point shot. They just uh, have right. m- managed to build a, an effective offense without necessarily leaning on it like, say, the Rockets. Um, but yeah, the, that, that correlation you know, makes sense to me. I think the the the, the very negative correlations for—I uh, guess not very negative, but the negative well, correlations for— uh, Can
1: I just jump in quickly about the sure. three-point rate there? Sure. Uh so in a previous post I found kinda I looked at shot selection basically using uh the Kobe metric uh that we discussed in the last pod. And um and I found that was actually so that correlation, um, let me bring that up. That was uh an R squared of 0.33. Um so that was actually pretty, you know, strongly correlated there.
0: Yeah, um, that is uh that is a lot for Yeah, for and so I
1: was gonna metric. say That probably explains, for example, that probably explains pretty much the correlation uh, of true shooting. The 0.15 correlation for true shooting percentage is probably mainly coming from the shot selection prudent. Um, I don't know that. uh, So actually, the next step, I guess, would be to kind of look at effective field goal percentage, just um, taking out. Although the free throw rate correlation is pretty much nothing.
0: Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah so you can you can kind of kind of sense that the because the free throw rate is not the driver uh in terms of the correlations that it it probably is the shot selection because basically when right. you take you take away uh free throw rate from effective field goal I mean from true shooting percentage you end up you with effective field out. goal percentage. Right. Yeah. Um yeah that makes that makes total sense. I, I think that the The fact that the 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 assist and usage percentage correlations are so much stronger than the the positive correlations is definitely interesting, and I think just like this this broader uh, idea of of trying to figure out which uh, skill types or or um, wh- which things really translate and how they translate depending on the kind of team that you are going to is is really one of the more interesting things, and I think it's something that we don't necessarily um a, as a sort of analytics uh writing public <laughs> necessarily dive into as much as is as maybe um needs be because basketball is much more dynamic than say baseball um and so those contextual uh issues or um th- th- those sorts of things are much more important to understand and i i do think that it's it's um useful or or, uh, nice that the things that you would expect to kind of uh, correlate are the things that you actually see like it's very intuitive that you would get better shots on a better team uh, that you would see your usage percentage go down because you're uh, you know a lot of the times guys that uh, that have that are on you know worse teams they get forced into roles that are uh, maybe bigger than than what they would. They're ideally suited to. They're not optimized. And so you go to a better team. You have a better chance of being optimized in terms of you know your ideal sort of usage. So you would see it drop. Uh, and same thing for assist percentage. You have fewer opportunities with the, the ball in your hands. Um, but that's not necessarily a bad thing from a team perspective because you're you know um, seeing the the benefits of you know that more egalitarian offense and just the fact that there's more talent there. Uh yeah. But um yeah, so I I know that the the uh looking at guys as as they change teams is um and sort of that contextual stuff has been a something that you've been pretty interested in and I know you you've this you this was kind of part of a larger series that goes back You know, even over a year ago, you've you've been writing uh, stuff about about this kind of subject. You mentioned the the change in shot selection uh, as measured by Kobe. Um, At at uh, the time, it was known as AXPPS.
1: Yeah, that was before it was renamed. If you can't find that, that
0: that, that was before before you came up with a very catchy uh, the catchy name.
1: (laughs) That was not actually my idea. I think that was uh, positive residuals. Or,
0: well, positive residual know, is, but... is good at the uh, good at the branding, so so uh, that, that would not surprise me. He's also a big Lakers fan, so another uh, total not surprise. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, the the Kobe metric is is very uh, very interesting and, and useful, and um, I think that you know measures of shot quality are are I think that's really those kinds of things are things that we're we're starting to understand better and better all the time in terms of how to to appreciate those sorts of things, and understanding that shot distribution is you know probably more important over the long haul in terms of predictiveness um, and understanding you know what's actually going on uh, than say you know the actual result um, that's the whole process versus results thing, and over the long haul the pro if you have good process, the results will come, but you know you don't want to get fooled by randomness or fooled by noise. Uh so I think the more that we can look at shot distribution and shot quality like as opposed to well they gave up a whole bunch of threes it's like the the thing with Kawhi Leonard this year where he's had like the worst uh luck on uh defended uh, I on 3 point percentage and free yeah. throw
1: percentage yeah
0: yeah well, no like no player in the league has has had the, their on off splits more affected by uh team free throw defense and uh team uh, three-point defense which we have one of the things that nylon has banged on for a while is that those things are both uh mostly noise and with free throw percentage it's pretty much entirely noise uh because there's no you're not actually playing any defense <laughs> when the guy's right yeah no i mean that's that's yeah it's got nothing to do with what you're doing
1: doing on defense
0: right All right, so so moving along, we'll we'll go to uh, so you wrote also about the the impact of uh,
1: a good transition actually there from
0: yeah yeah so so, yeah so we we've been talking we we just kind of started talking about the you know the noise uh, the noisiness around um, defending uh, or or especially from a team perspective of. defensive uh, three point percentage and, um, sort of, uh, why shot distribution matters more than, than, you know, the noisy, uh, sh- actual shooting results. And so you ha- have written a lot about, uh, defended field goal percentage and, uh, most recently about the impact of length on, uh, opponent field goal percentage. Um, so what was, what was your most recent finding there for, uh, that impact of length
1: Well, I I found, so I kind of filtered by just looking at contested shots and um, I did find there was kind of uh, an impact there with regards to like, to land. Basically, it is better to have uh, longer defenders, you know, guarding the shot. Um, But I think what's interesting, so first of all, regarding the whole defended field level percentage metric, I'm going to have to come back to that. It's just not a good metric. And so, It's uh, because as I pointed out in the article on length, um, there are a lot of shots that are going to be wide open where a defender is marked as being the closest defender. And if you're like 10 feet away and, you know, A, you might not even be the person who's supposed to be defending that player. Um, And yet if you're the closest defender uh, and you're 10 feet away, you know, it's you're not defending the shot. It's kind of got nothing to do with you. It's just an open shot, and it's kind of more a result of the whole team defense than not necessarily. You. Um, I mean, maybe it is your fault, but maybe you're the defender. But, um, I mean, basically, what I'm saying is like, he, shots where like someone's like 10 feet away, those should not be counted because you're not defending the actual shot. And that defended field goal percentage metric includes shots like that. And um i mean i might be using extreme example there saying like 10 feet away but uh, you know that's that's
0: basically yeah it's the the when you looked at it it, it looked like there for contested shots uh for the the shots defended metric it it looks like the nba the version that the nba is is using there is basically uh they're counting. They're they're listing basically any shot where the player was within ten feet of the shooter. Uh, at, well, it doesn't, it doesn't even have
1: to be ten feet. It can be like twenty feet. Or yeah. And essentially, like any, any sh-
0: Yeah. Any any shot that the that the other that the, that that That's player funny. is on the court for, <laughs> they're they're yeah. including it. It seems like, uh, which is which is not. Um, not what you want. So, uh, filtering down by by shots that are actually closely contested was uh, definitely smart. And even just like, uh, even if the contested shot data um, that they that they are uh, that they provide, or the uh, essentially, def- I I need to not mix up the terminology. So the the data that they provide is for defended field goal percentage. Um, seems like it kind of includes everything, which. You know, even when the guy's really far away, which doesn't actually make any sense because that's right. not, not defended.
1: Compare the totals from that versus like the totals from basketball reference, where it's just total three point attempts are very similar. And, um, you know, of course, there's going to be some small differences possibly due to, you know, the way, you know, stuff's filtered or whatever, who knows. But, I mean, the total amounts are very similar
0: yeah so they're 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 including basically any shot when the player is on the floor in the defended uh defended field goal percentage metrics, which should obviously be a huge red flag to anybody so if you wanna actually use those things, the only thing that you should use it for. Is for closely defended shots, um, and even then, there's the issue of like a guy might be closely defending somebody, but it, the breakdown in the defense where they had to run and have a closeout on that person might not be their fault. And um, but you're still that, that's it's a better a better thing to look at than. than so
1: well, actually, here's the thing. So um, the NBA.com has obviously the rim protection stats, right? And then they have the defended field goal percentage stats that are within six feet. Um, those stats, the defended field goal percentage stats within six feet, they they might be highly kind of correlated year to year, but they still have the same issues that all the other ones have. They're still including, you know, all the shots. Whereas the rim protection stats on NBA.com, you have to actually be within five feet of uh, the shooter and within five feet of the basket, right? So it's better defined. Right. So, um, I wouldn't even. I just basically wouldn't use this kind of field goal percentage stats for anything. There's no point, even within six feet. There's no point to use it because we have a better alternative with the with the rim protection stats. So
0: right, yeah. I think um, what you found with with the the impact of length. You you looked just at the at the shots that are sort of filtered for uh, the shots where the the defense is within. Uh, Within four feet, four, yeah. four feet. so it's essentially somebody's wingspan length. Yeah, and well, yeah, I guess that's, I, I mean, the the four feet
1: kind of comes from what NBA.com defines as, uh, I guess, contested, so they have very they have tight defense, sorry, very tight defense and tight defense. Very tight is like zero to two feet, and tight is two to four, and I just kind of use that four feet as a cutoff. It, it is sort of, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of trusting the NBA.com here that they they're using two to four feet for, you know, a reason. Um, and and maybe with the way their defended field goal percentage metric works, maybe I should be looking at it more. <laughs> maybe I should have actually tried to figure out a good.
0: I was going to say I, I do think though that the, what what you ended up finding is pr- is probably good evidence that at the very least, as relates to the the tight and very tight defense that they that they seem like they're measuring things accurately because you did. You did find uh, some pretty strong uh, results as far as so. I'm looking at the article now. You have for sh- uh, different shot types. So, if a shot is you know at the basket, every one inch increase in wingspan uh, decreases the effectiveness of the shot or, or by 70, uh, 0.75 percentage points. And uh, then on three pointers that are also tight or very tight, you're you're seeing a uh, uh, every inch of wingspan makes a shot difficulty 0.55% uh harder essentially or suppresses that uh percentage down so i mean that's that's pretty significant and so i, I would assume that that they're at least measuring that accurately most of the time um, right. unlike the, the defended field goal percentage which is uh essentially useless <laughs> yeah which, which I will I will note that uh, our, our uh, fearless leader uh, Seth Partnow has been telling everybody for as long as uh, as long as he was in the public domain and as long as those statistics were out there he was saying that they were useless so uh, I, I guess Seth knew something
1: <laughs> yeah he, he's been saying
0: that for a long time so um,
1: and anyway so getting kind of back to the, the three that kind of if, if you if everyone interested uh, of length kind of inc- uh, decreases shot difficulty for threes at 0.55%. I I thought that was kind of interesting because um, obviously, so I'm talking about one for, you know, each individual shot here. Um, and then if we're look, but then obviously, as we know, if you're looking at like over a large sample of uh, threes, three point percent is kind of random, right? Uh, I think Andrew had found uh, he looked at the. Now I'm not sure if Andrew looked at the defended field goal percentage uh, metric or if he looked at um, contested shots uh, and you know with regards to very tight or tight uh, defense. I think this was a couple years ago. Um, let me see. What, uh, I'm trying to think. It's like contesting three point shots or something. AlanCalculus.com. Yeah. Uh, so it's lucky misses contesting three point shots. I'm not sure if he used. Uh, whether you use the defended field percentage or the, you know, the very tight or tight one here, but I found there was kind of no correlation for teams,
0: I believe. Yeah. Um. Well, his scatter plot that was in the piece is is now missing. It's not there yet. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um. Uh, you had to look at way back machine, I
0: think. Yeah, I think I think he used the the very tight and and uh, tight defense. Um, as his measures of of being contested in that. And, yeah, there there wasn't, like, year-to-year correlation. So I I think that that – yeah, what I think ends up happening there is that on individual shots, it's weird, right? Like, I I think that uh, it's just that three-point percentage in general is so noisy over – even over, like, a relatively – large sample size that within a season or whatever you're gonna see um even shots that are contested like in the aggregate yes the close defense is better but like it gets probably swallowed up a little bit by the noise of just three-point shooting in general um because it's just unless you're well even like i don't know even guys at the at the top end like sometimes they'll miss shots that are Uncontested, and sometimes they'll make shots that are heavily contested, and I think like those things kind of end up coming out in the wash. And the the thing that we've kind of said all along is that if if your 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 best defense against three pointers is to just not allow them in the first place, right? Uh, well, so I I found the way back link and. It looks like
1: he might actually be referring to the defended field goal percentage
0: one. Oh well, that uh, which, then, <laughs> then that would be that, that then maybe that means that uh, we need to to have an updated version of that piece that actually just looks at the looks at the yeah the tight um, versus not tight. We'll have to
1: ask him that. Oh, maybe not. Uh, I, well, we'll we'll have to ask him that. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, anyways, yeah. So I think that like as you're saying looking at over like a larger sample it's it's definitely kind of random but i think the idea that like um is and this is kind of one of the things i was kind of struggling with like when i was writing the defensive field goal percentage piece. like i don't want to sit there and say that like uh defending a three is totally like if isaiah thomas is contesting you versus like kawhi leonard like those are two completely different players right like one of them is like one of them is five foot nine you're you feel completely yeah. comfortable, you know, and and you have you kind of have to believe that there's got to be some sort of difference there, right? Like intuitively, just you sit there and think, like, okay, that this, this Isaiah Thomas contesting a three point shot, you know, is, isn't not Kawhi contesting it more likely to kind of affect you as a shooter than Isaiah Thomas? But
0: yeah, I I think I think that's a good r- rule of thumb in general for people, anybody that's doing kind of. Uh, analytics work or, or interested in that kind of thing is like if the, if your results are are completely counterintuitive um that you know it, and, and these
1: kind of are counterintuitive to what i mean the whole piece and actually and this was kind of something i was struggling with when i was writing that piece on, on Lent is like that my kind of findings are kind of they are kind of counterintuitive to or they kind of contradicted kind of a bit what
0: we found earlier right yeah so that that i i I would say that that uh that probably means that um there that we need to do uh, so i think your results are more intuitive right that length matters and that yeah that that you know the quality of like tight defense matters um on shots and so i think that like that means that there's, there's room there for further study. And like, maybe, maybe we've made, yeah. maybe we've swung the pendulum.
1: I, I think there's room for a lot of like further study. I don't think we've necessarily settled like anything yet. I, I think definitely what we do know is that like over a large sample, three point percent is random. I think that like, we kind of know that. Right. And that makes sense. At, at
0: least at, at the, at least at the team level. It, at the it, team level. Right. Yeah. At
1: the team level. Um, and, um, And maybe even for, it's possible that's maybe even true for uh, a player level, I guess. I mean, I I, I know that sounds weird because I'm saying that, like, length matters, but, like, maybe over, like, you know, because of the randomness of a player
0: shooting threes that, like, to some degree there's
1: randomness.
0: Well, I I, I was just going to say, I think part of it, right, is that, like, We know that shooting is a skill and we know that over a long sample, like large samples, some guys are way better at it than others. Like that is a a statement so obvious, that you know, it almost feels dumb to say it. But uh, the the flip side of that is that you're when you're on defense, you're defending different players all the time. And so you're seeing a lot more variation in terms of the quality of shooters. And so that, I think, tends to uh, converge towards – average, you know, and, like, the, the, right. there's not and really Maybe a long... that's
1: why the, the, like, individual might have, like, over long larger sample size. An individual might have a, you know, they might see that, you know, field goal percentage that they're defending, like, change year to year. And to, just to make sure, like, I'm, I'm not talking about the defended field goal percentage metric here where I'm talking just about, you know, like a player defending a three, right? So that might... Um, because you're defending so many different shooters, right? So that might be kind of wildly. Um, there might be kind of a lot, a lot of variance there. But I mean, when you're when you're defending a specific shot, you know, that's where your length, like, and can can make a difference. So I, I don't know if that
0: makes sense. There. No, it does. Cause like, think about it. So when you, your your met, your shot difficulty metric is is incorporating who the shooter is into it, right? Right. So that uh, you you have that piece of information as part of it. So you're you can you know that like Steph Curry is a forty some odd percent three point shooter, and you can see the effect that uh, someone like a Kawhi is having on on his shot. Um, But uh, over a, a large sample of everybody that Kawhi ever defends. You're probably going to see – you might see some effect in that his de- defense is going to have a suppressive effect, but it's not going to be as large as against any individual shooter because right. there's going to be so much fuzziness with just the fact that he's, it's going to be such a, a cluster of different quality shooters. Um, so I think that th- there's probably something to that, but I also do think that maybe we've just st- swung the pendulum a little bit too far on saying, well, you know, uh, three point defense has no effect on a uh, three point shooting percentage. Like maybe, we. well, that's what I've been wondering
1: too. Like, have we gone too far? Like
0: it, maybe there is,
1: you know, and obviously there's, I think there's still like a lot we can look into, you know, I don't think, I guess. And, and I remember, I think Zach Lowe brought it up on one of his pods, like he was saying he didn't. He wasn't completely there yet about like um the best way that you know that that defenders have no effect on three point percent so yeah uh, i think it's something that there's still a lot of research you know left to be done at least publicly maybe. yeah
0: <laughs> yeah sure. The, the, i'm sure that the teams that have studied this probably pretty extensively uh, at least i at least i would hope so um but uh, i guess, i guess that that's that's a challenge for you krishna you, or, or any of our other writers who may be listening <laughs> go go find out whether whether we've overstated the case against 3 point percentage defense um all right so Uh, I guess we'll just uh, go to the the last thing I kind of wanted to talk to you about, which was um, you looked at uh, sort of some of the all-in-one metrics to see if – it certainly feels like some of the stats that uh, guys are putting up, you know, 50-point triple-doubles from Harden and and Westbrook and things of that nature. It it feels like NBA superstars are doing more than ever uh, for their teams, and uh, you kind of dove in and and took a look at that from uh, pretty – a lot of the all-in-one metrics, and uh, what did you find? It, are, are, is that the case? Are, are guys doing more than, than we've ever seen before? Um, yeah, so I think, well,
1: what I found in my article, and kind of Justin found this in his week in review too, is that the uh, top players in the league are, their usage rates are, are pretty much higher than they've ever been. And so if you look at their efficiency, like relative to the league average, um, that hasn't really changed over time, but their usage has gone up, which is why. You see a number of their kind of all-in-one metrics kind of going up. For example, like BPM uh, you know, usage, and uh, like Westbrook, for example, and like Westbrook's kind of breaking BPM, right? Because it's, it's this percentage, your rebound percentage, and his usage percentage, and especially the usage percentage being like insanely high, like forty. You know, uh, I I think that's going to be a record, right?
0: Yeah, um, yeah. Westbrook is his season that he's having right now is basically perfectly designed. To make uh BPM go bananas because BPM uses uh, interaction effects, so like for usage percentage times assist percentage and assist percentage times uh, rebounding percentage. So right. yep. <laughs> uh, he you know he's getting a lot of rebounds. He's dominating the ball. He's taking a ton of shots. Uh, he's getting a lot of assists and he's getting a lot of a lot of rebounds. Um, and so those are all things that like make BPM uh, you know even if it was a linear weights metric, so like I have uh, DRE, which is uh, trained on the same data as BPM, but it's just a linear weights metric, and so you don't get those interaction effects. Westbrook is towards the top, but he's not uh, he's not number one and he's not breaking the metric um, but uh, a metric that has interaction variables which tend to be you know for the overall fit of the model is better uh but you know every once in a while you get a guy like Westbrook who's just maxing out in the specific categories that the metric really likes um and his, his uh BPM is is I think it might be the the, the highest ever um at, yeah it,
1: it's it's the highest ever by like two or three points or something I think uh yeah so and and the thing is like Westbrook's BPM that high it doesn't necessarily mean that Westbrook's that good because BPM says he's good. That good, it doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with the metric BPM. It just means that he is kind of the outlier. Like he is the guy who's breaking the metric, but it doesn't make the metric bad because there's going to be outliers for you know every metric. Every metric's going to have you know those players who um who, who as you said, I mean like BPM has basically never seen anyone like
0: Westbrook. Right, so. it was it was trained on data that that was did not uh contemplate <laughs> or did not have somebody that averaged a triple-double and, you know, uh averaging a triple-double in a uh, in an environment where he was had less than 100 possessions per uh per game, you know, we talk all you know, a lot of people talk about how triple-doubles are overrated, but the components that make up triple-doubles, points, rebounds and assists are things that uh that BPM really likes. Uh, and so... Um, and they do matter. I mean... Yeah, I, I no, think, they like do. For the, for the vast majority, and even for Westbrook, they matter. It's just,
1: you know, we might be overstating his impact. And actually getting back to kind of my piece, where, like, as we found, as I kind of found the usage, and Justin found this too, the usage of the players at the very top are kind of are more um, this year than kind of at any point. I think that could be maybe why you see our... Kind of all in one metrics where a lot of them are, um, you know, we basically have our best best set of superstars ever because you know their usage is higher and you know uh, now it's also possible that these players are just our best set of superstars ever. You know, we're kind of
0: yeah, it's uh, it's one of those things where uh, where the metrics can tell you uh, give you some some descriptive sense of of what's happening, but um, I think, like, one of the things that I, I try to talk about as much as possible, uh, sneak it in when I can on the podcast, is that, like, the the importance of all these metrics is that you always have to understand, like, understanding the blind spots um, is, in the metrics is as important as, as anything else and understanding, like, what the what any metric is good at and what things that maybe it's uh, less good at in terms of understanding. And so, like, BPM is a very good box score uh Box score estimate of player value per one hundred possessions, but it is uh, by no metric even real plus minus is not perfect um, and they're all varying degrees of uh, imperfect and it's just understanding their sort of imperfections and because and there you'll never have a perfect metric uh, in my opinion because all of the metrics are trying to model uh the world and the world is messy and chaotic and models are simple and uh they're distillations of of um you know of the truth but not necessarily the actual truth because uh, there's just too much going on especially in a game as uh, dynamic as basketball so you, if you understand that that bpm is not everything then maybe you don't put as much weight on it especially when you can understand that Westbrook is his season this year is specifically tuned to make uh, BPM kind of uh, fall apart <laughs> and and be less useful for describing you know how impactful he is. You can say he is very impactful, and BPM is a good indicator that you know what whatever you th- you know if you think that it's a an outlier season, and I th- I think that that's a perfectly justified thing to believe. Um, but I I think. It's a it's a good indicator that he's very good and that he's one of the best players this year. Um, you also don't necessarily need BPM to tell you that he's one of the best players this year, and because of the specific uh, blind spots of the metric, or blind spots might not even be the best word for it. But just knowing how the metrics function is important, um, and that's you know that's part of the reason why I, I have. Uh, Dre as a thing because it's simple and it's really easy to understand and you can kind of see how what things uh, drive different guys ratings. Um, and I think that just having a, an understanding of, of what what drives these things is, is very important for people. And so I don't think you can just look at Westbrook's BPM and be like, well, he's the MVP clearly because he's got the best BPM of all time. Um, I, I don't think that that would be a very smart discussion to 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 have around it. Right and
1: and likewise he's you know he's not having the greatest season ever uh, and he's not like three points per hundred possessions better than MJ was in his best season I I think that's the difference in their BPMs right is uh, I looked earlier I think MJ's top season was like twelve point eight and Westbrook's like fifteen point eight or something like that so
0: right and and, that, and that's insane that yeah is, you know, that is crazy well the other thing you have to understand too about Westbrook is that like relative to other guys uh that uh, you know other players and other uh scenarios where the data was the, in seasons where the, the data was trained on uh Westbrook is playing in a, on a team that is uniquely set up for him to dominate the ball and to to basically do everything especially on the offensive side of the ball which is where most box score metrics are still uh primarily attuned to so you know they don't have really other shot creators like Victor Oladipo notwithstanding, uh they don't really have other shot creators. They have a team full of guys that uh go out there and play solid enough defense so that Westbrook can basically do everything else on offense and he spoon feeds everybody. So he has all the usage, all the assists and, you know, he they on uh when it comes to rebounding, his teammates let him take every easy rebound. <laughs> and so uh you know, they box their guys out and he comes flying in and then they get a fast break and it's so like you have to understand all of those things if you're gonna if you're gonna talk smartly about the the metric side of it and not just be like well BPM says well that's not enough.
1: Uh, yeah, and actually here's an interesting kind of stat. So I was looking at kind of the pass dashboard, and um, I was looking at field goals. Uh, so they have passes from right, and then yep, uh, you can look at total passes. And then I was kind of uh, doing field goals attempts divided by passes, basically to look at. How many attempts? So every time a player receives a ball, a pass from a player, how many time? You know, what percentage of time is that player shooting? Um, So uh, and actually, I I found the kind of top and So I kind of filtered by 200 field goal attempts here. Yeah. Um, And so the top guys were Wall was at 43.4 percent, Harden was at 39.7 percent, and Westbrook's 39.3 percent. And then there's LeBron. And then, uh, interestingly, uh, Ricky Rubio was.
0: Um, so, sounds like a, a pretty uh, th- th- something where point guards dominate, and then LeBron's up there because he's LeBron. <laughs> right. Yep. It does. Yeah. And
1: anyway, I mean, I, I just thought it's kind of interesting because so basically every time you know someone Westbrook's passing, for example, or even you know LeBron or Harden, um, these guys, their teammates are shooting more, um, you know, versus. You know someone else who received a pass from someone else who might not shoot and by the times obviously that's spot because you're open, yeah uh, so
0: yeah um, that one's a that one's a tough one as a as a descriptive metric to to disentangle are those guys shooting more when those guys pass to them because uh they're like, oh man, I finally got the ball and then they're just shooting just to shoot, or are they shooting because they're wide open and like just given the names that are on the top of that list, I would be inclined to think that generally it's it's more, Hey, I'm wide open. I'm going to shoot now because I'm, I'm getting the ball and I'm, I have a wide open shot.
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't, I don't really know the use of, I'm just kind of looking at it today, but yeah. uh, I don't know the usefulness of it, but it, it seems kind of <laughs> interesting.
0: Yeah. No, it's, um, it's...
1: especially with the names at the top there. Um, I, and I was just thinking like Westbrook accumulates so many assists and part of accumulating, and this is true with Harden and, and LeBron obviously, and part of that is the, you Know your teammates have to be willing to shoot as soon as you get the ball, so um, and
0: and again, that probably has more
1: to do with the value they bring than necessarily you know, teammates
0: kind of whether they're right. I also think that like uh, there, there may be something to this like superstar uh, bump in um, in terms of uh, production or whatever. That you know, we're seeing the the, the huge uh, swells in usage, and I think like maybe we're seeing a little bit of um, teams are getting smarter about, about how to build around uh, superstars. Um, My my inclination is that they, that has to be the case almost to some degree, because like we have so much more information now and um, you know, well, I think
1: part of it also is like, if you have a superstar um, with just the way the league is trending, like we're shooting more threes, everyone's shooting more threes. Right. And, you have a superstar and, you know, usually superstars can, you know, go and get buckets and they can, they're usually able to drive and kind of dish and you're dishing the open three-point I mean, there you go, right? That's kind of why you're, it's kind of almost a simple formula, right? I mean, you got someone who can, you know, beat their man off the dribble and if you surround them with, three-point shooters. I mean, that just makes so much sense, doesn't
0: it? I mean... Yeah, that, yeah I, it, I, I, <laughs> it, it seems like a simple formula, but for some reason, the Chicago Bulls could not figure that out. <laughs> <laughs> they, they couldn't figure out that to surround Jimmy Butler with, with shooters, even though literally every time he had shooters around him last year, the Bulls' offense went like gangbusters, and then this year, whenever he had shooters around him, their offense went like gangbusters, but as soon as you know, you put all these... Uh, negative floor spacers on the floor with them. You know that just put up bricks. That the offense went into the toilet, and they were like, Ah, you know what? Let's trade away all of our shooters <laughs> and like not sign each one more, and not and bring in Rajon Rondo and Dwayne Wade. Anyways, that's enough of my <laughs> Bulls fan bitterness. <laughs> but yeah, no, it, it is. It, it does seem like like the the idea of like get your best player the ball, surround him with shooters, space the floor, and then get out of his way, like. Um, you know, high pick and roll or whatever, like right. that, that seems like the formula, and it seems like teams have kind of like I don't know if it's 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 too much to say like they've solved basketball, but like um, they, the the Rockets are kind of taking that to extreme end this year, right? And yeah. and
1: they are doing really well. Um, I think uh, what I actually found really interesting. So I don't know if you saw Ben Fox article on uh, on the Bucks, right? So he was saying that. Um, teams who shoot more mid range shots, um, or sorry, teams who who shoot less, or, or teams who shoot less mid range shots um, turn the ball over more. Um, and I, I believe that was the case for offense too. Um, it was like, it, so it's, it's mainly, so the teams who um, allow more on defense, obviously, they force less turnover. So it's, it's kind of like a spectrum, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. There's always there's always a there's always a tension in terms of like there's trade offs. So that's that is like the uh, you know saying that basketball is solved. I think is always kind of a, a misnomer because it's it's like a pendulum. Except for it's it's not two sided. It's kind of there's all these different uh, spectrums, like you were saying. But like there's di- more than two dimensions on the spectrum. So like. Uh, uh, in terms of the four factors, like there's your uh, shooting, like shooting percentages. There's your getting to the line. There's uh, rebounding and then turnovers. And like to get, you know, get to the line more frequently, um, or, or I guess from a defensive perspective, we'll, we'll say uh, to to get more turnovers, you might have to risk uh, fouling and putting guys on the line more frequently, right? Like, or to uh, Re- rebound better you might have to give up a few more open shots or you know vice versa um so i, I think that like there is like always like that tension um and it, it goes the other way on offense like to if you're going to shoot a lot of threes maybe you're not going to the line as much um and those are two different ways of getting a f- efficient offense um that you don't that don't always go together uh yeah i mean to so
1: to kind of explain what the article I, I you definitely have to check it out it's it's a uh, if you know whoever's it's it's a great article and kind of learned a lot about basketball just reading it and I think that I so I mean basically what he was saying is like the, the teams who so you have two different styles. you have a team playing aggressive defense versus kind of conservative right and the teams who are aggressive obviously force more turnovers but uh, to use the Bucks as, as an example they're kind of giving up a lot of shots from high value locations from three from. Uh, you know at the rim and it's because they're kind of scrambling and they're like pressuring the ball or scrambling around, around a lot and um and so I think this whole idea and and so I, I kind of looked into that too I was kind of curious if like the uh, turnover rate for um the league average turnover rate has gone down over the last few years those teams are playing kind of more conservatively right so like kind of hanging back on the pick and roll and um, and i I noticed it is going down so I believe it was at its lowest rate um, going back to when turnovers were tracked. So um, I thought that was kind of interesting.
0: Um, yeah, it's, uh, I do think that um, – yeah, I, I've i read about halfway through the article that you're talking about from from Ben. I haven't had a chance to finish it. Um, I was reading it on my lunch break at work and then I had to get back to work, but, (laughs) um, but it's a, it's, it is a good one. And I do think that just like the idea of trade-offs is, is definitely something that teams have to think about. And it's just like figuring out where the sort of maximum uh, efficiency is in this sort of moment that you're in uh, league wide. And then, you know. your opponents will eventually react to that and then you have to look for the next edge i think that's one thing that like the spurs have always done really well um is like adapting to whatever the environment they're in is and and trying to um not necessarily always zig when other people are zagging but like just understanding those trade-offs i think they always do a really good job with which is part of why they're they've been so good for so long um, also, having really good talent helps, but <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I think. that yeah. I I do think though that like the that idea of like uh, s- scrambling around on defense, Milwaukee gives up uh t- like their their whole goal has been to be disruptive on defense, but they give up so many um, high value shots. And uh, I know I, I have a couple of Bucks fans who are very vocal that TV, I, TV uh, courier, yeah, so t- t- I t p Courier. Yeah. Yeah. TV. TV. T.P. Courier and Shafty Bro are, are – <laughs> shout out to them. Uh, they, they are very vocal. Uh, and also ne- uh, No Tech Ben, who is Ben Thompson, who also hosts a, a tech podcast. Um, but he uh, he's another Bucks fan who is also very critical and uh, loudly vocal of uh, – vocal critic of, of sort of their defensive scheme. And it makes sense. Like they're, they're – you know, we've been talking a lot about shot distribution um, in this podcast – And and why that's important. And they give up a very bad shot profile. And it's because they are uh, too helter skelter. Uh, They're running around too much on defense. And, um, you know, they could probably do with a little bit more of the conservatism that you're talking about that's sort of taken over league wide. Um, Because I think they could play conservatively. But with. Well, that's uh, that's the interesting question, though, because. I think to play, and uh, I'm going to kind of
1: touch back on my article at the beginning of the season where I looked at defending drives, but, and, and what I found there is that teams who allowed more drives um, tended to be better defensively, and all of those teams had really good rim protection. And so going back to the Bucks, I was looking at their rim protection, and I believe they're kind of middling in the league, and then I was kind of looking at their players, and their only good player at Uh, their only good rim protector as a player is Giannis. And so um, it kind of makes you wonder, well, I mean, they don't really have the rim protection to necessarily play kind of conservatively where like, you know, you can kind of hang back uh, on the pick and roll and, and, you know, and so I think it's, it's a question of like, whether they have the personnel, but certainly you do have to wonder if like, well, even if they don't have the personnel, could what they're, you know, could playing more conservatively still be an advantage because of
0: you know? I think I, I think with them, the the argument for playing a little bit more conservatively uh, and less sort of uh, aggressive with with some of their defensive stuff is that uh, they have so much length as a team that they can play conservatively or play more conservatively than they currently do and still probably get more turnovers than the average team just by sheer virtue of the fact that they're going to have longer arms to get in the passing lanes, even if they're not necessarily um, going full bore for the steal every single time. You know what I mean? Like they're Right. They, they, uh, they,
1: and I think that might be partly why maybe they are playing aggressive because they look at the length that they have and they're like, oh, okay, well, you know, maybe the best way to take advantage of this is to play aggressive, kind of like the Heat did, right? Yeah. In those years, and um, and and maybe what they think is that they think that like, well, we're longer, so our ability to contest out on shots, on threes, or whatever, might like what what I was talking about earlier at the beginning of the uh, pod about you know having longer players contest shots. Well, the Bucks do have that, so yeah. Um, but. I mean, I, I do agree that they probably do want to play more conservative, but um, it's obviously too late to do that. And I'm yeah. sure part of it is, uh, can you find a rim protector to, you know, kind of help you play that way?
0: But yeah, that, I mean, that's the one. The one real. I mean, there's there's a lot of things that are a shame about what happened with him but uh, that that is a real shame for the Bucs that Larry Sanders ended up having the the issues that yeah. that he had because he he would be kind of it been a fit. really fun defense to watch if yeah. Sanders you know they still had him yeah.
1: um
0: but yeah i mean i think like it's it's very it's very easy to kind of look at their their personnel and um say you know we're young we're long we should play very aggressive and, and go for go for steals um but i think that there's you know i think that one I, turnovers are not the most important thing for defense the most important thing for defense is uh effective field goal percentage like right. um yep. so i think if they played a, played it in such a way that they were more focused on forcing tough shots as opposed to trying to get get um turnovers uh, because they have such great length, and getting back to your your piece on the impact of length, I think that they would force teams into into you know difficult shots uh, if they weren't necessarily you know scrambling for closeouts all the time and, and trying to recover from getting themselves in a bad way because they're you know chasing steals. Um, and, and the other
1: thing is, I mean, as I as I mentioned in that article, most threes are open, right? So if you're if these all if their opponents are taking threes, it's because they're comfortable shooting threes. They're not worried about the bus' length. Right. So, you know, so that's kind of, whereas, you know, if, as you're saying, they're playing more conservatively, well, those three attempts might not even happen. And so, and the other thing is about your length can, like, it's not just about deterring, like, on the shot itself, but it's also about kind of deterring the shot. You're, I'm sure length matters there, too, and that would be something kind of interesting to quantify if, I mean, I, I don't know how you'd go about doing that, because, um mm-hmm. made like shots deterred or something like that, or yeah.
0: I mean you might look um, at you might look at like uh you know a very broad way to look at it would just be and this would obviously miss a lot of nuance, but even just like looking at the correlation of like average wingspan by minutes played or whatever for a team, and then looking at how many three pointers per uh like what the three point rate that they surrender is you know um I don't, that, would,
1: that would be interesting um although i wonder if the issues of um not having full so in my article i didn't have wingspan data for everybody but because i used shot logs for over two seasons and i had about 330 players it was kind of enough to do some analysis but i wonder if if, if you're doing that for like a full year if you would need like the full league to kind of maybe not
0: um, yeah i mean you might with, with 330 players it's I guess but that's over two years, right? So I don't right. know. Um yeah. there's there's a decent amount of turnover every year and there's about four hundred fifty or so players in the league every year. Um so yeah, you would be missing a lot of a lot of people, but um I don't know, maybe if you just went with the starters or something like that. Uh I don't know. you might be able to you might be able to get, get at it uh to some degree or if you looked at it uh even from like a lineup perspective, um and looked at well, yeah, three, so rate, I think uh, from a lineup perspective.
1: like an adjusted plus minus perspective right so you have um and and this is something i've been kind of fooling around with you have like your three-point attempt um as like the uh independent uh or sorry uh dependent variable um and you know and whether you it's shot at it whether it's a three or not and then some of the variables could be like you know the wingspan as well as the players in the court right so yeah i don't know i don't know if that would be i think that would sort of get at the
0: problem um, yeah i think i mean there's or solid there's uh so if there's,
1: a, there's, eno-
0: there's enough out there i think that you that you could get wow. like you could get That's something that uh there's enough out there that I think you could probably get something that at least points in a direction. And, um, and you know, we have our, our hypothesis, right. And it'd be interesting to see, uh, you know, I, I f- feel pretty confident that there's probably some relationship between the two, but seeing how strong of an effect it is would be, would be pretty interesting, especially if you could do it at the lineup level lot, rather than sort of like the very, like, cause like there's going to be a lot of noise and the correlation is obviously it would probably be pretty weak if you're talking about like just looking at you know, percentage of minutes played by, uh, you know, basically a weighted average of wingspan by minutes played versus three point rate surrendered. Like, there's probably going to be too much uh, just noise in, in that. But if you had it at the lineup level, you, you might see a more significant correlation uh, between the impact of wings, like team wide wingspan and and three points surrendered or whatever. Um, but yeah, and the, and the
1: issue of not having, you know, wingspan data for the whole league might. You know, it might not be as much of an issue if you're looking at it from a lineup standpoint. Maybe I don't know. Yeah. Um, but that would definitely be interesting to see, and uh, I would imagine that kind of the it would. I would imagine if the effect would be kind of definitely be more than uh, what I found, for example, with looking at just its impact on on shot difficulty, right? So. Yeah. Um,
0: I was going to say I think yeah I mean like it it it's one of those things where it makes me wonder if it's sort of like if it has sort of like the almost exponential effect that uh almost in it's almost like the reverse of spacing on offense right like so how do you close the gap on spacing well with length um like right. the the inverse of of spacing uh is literally length because you're you're trying to get out to those uh guys that are further and further away uh, the way to do that more quickly is to have guys that are longer <laughs> and can get there faster. Um, so I, I think that that's uh, that's I, I think a very interesting sort of concept, and um, hopefully one that uh, that you guys uh, that you or maybe uh, maybe somebody else will 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 dive into because Lord knows that I don't know that I have the technical skills to to do that. <laughs> it's uh, definitely a, as a concept something I'm very interested in.
1: Yeah, I think the yeah, I think the big hurdle there is trying to figure out like how you're going to measure it and stuff. I mean, like, kind of given what we have publicly available to us with the yeah. data we have, right? So, I mean, I, I guess I mean, I guess the issue almost is like, do we have the data to be able to look at it?
0: Yeah, um, all, all and maybe the, we do. And you know. <laughs> all of these questions would be so much easier if we if we worked for a team, I'm sure. <laughs> Um, but, uh, so who, so who do you have for your MVP? We, we talked a little bit about the Im- impact of, of superstars. I'm curious now who who would you uh, select as your MVP?
1: Yeah. So my answer is, uh, it's going to be boring because I'm going to say, I don't know yet. <laughs> um, <laughs> you're going
0: to let, you're, you're going to let the whole season play out. That's fair.
1: Yeah. Uh, well, and I'm kind of all still kind of looking at like my research and just, everything and uh, yeah I kind of like to let the entire season play out and uh, I I do think saying Westbrook's your MVP kind of despite the issues we we said earlier uh, with kind of him breaking BPM and maybe he's not necessarily uh, the best player this year but I I, I actually I don't think I wouldn't have an issue with that I mean I definitely could see myself in a couple days saying oh like Westbrook's my MVP Um, I, I think really with Westbrook Kawhi, LeBron, Harden—you can't really
0: go wrong with any of them. I know that, like, that's not what, you know. (laughs) Come on, Krishna. The people came here for the hot takes. That was was a tepid (laughs) take.
1: Yeah. um, Well, so maybe, one, here's the the interesting thing for me, because I think those four people are kind of interchangeable. I almost find who you would have fifth in your MVP voting to be more interesting. And for me, and I've, heard, and I've heard a lot of people saying that they'd have Isaiah Thomas uh, fit, and I don't think I would. Um, I think I probably might even go with Curry at the moment now uh, with the way he's been playing, with the way the Warriors are playing. And, I mean, he's up to third in RPM now, which is uh, kind of incredible when we talk about him having a quote-unquote down season, right? Like, he's, he's uh, and I think, I mean, this, like, Point percentage might be career low or something. Maybe it's gotten uh, gone back up after this recent stretch, but um, but he's but just his impact and his gravity. I think um, I don't think I think you could definitely have him fifth. Uh, another guy I kind of like there would be maybe Giannis. Um, uh, that would so those are the kind of the two guys I would think about maybe having fifth. I could uh, throw John Wall in there.
0: Um, well, uh how dare you? You didn't <laughs> you, you didn't mention Jimmy Butler it's Jimmy Butler, yeah. <laughs> um and you have getting
1: someone uh would, would you go with him fifth or Um
0: I could I could see putting putting Jimmy or Giannis there honestly. Um I Giannis seems like he's he's fallen down the the RPM board a little bit uh recently which that points to some of like the uh I guess Very, uh, the, the, how variable RPM can be, which makes me a little bit, uh, I don't know, curious about it, I guess. Um, but I think for me, the MVP, I wrote in, I wrote a newsletter piece about it a couple of weeks ago, and obviously it was premature to, to declare him such, um, already because the season wasn't over yet, but I said that I thought LeBron was the MVP, uh, because my, so... Yeah, I remember
1: that. I was wondering maybe your, has your opinion changed on that, or? Um, I think can, that. Can I, I say that I actually find the race for fifth kind of interesting
0: too? That like yeah. something to talk about. It. Okay. Yeah, the uh, the the um, so I'd say for the for LeBron, we know I, who the who the top four
1: are, right? Yeah, and, like, I if think you choose it, any one of them as your MVP, you're not really like
0: yeah. So for or, for for fifth, I think like I would say I would either pick. Curry, Jimmy Butler, or Giannis? And I think I'd probably lean Curry because this team is going to win 65-plus games, and Kevin Durant only played in 59 of those. Um, And, you know, if you think about it from a, uh, I guess, a sort of uh, Bayesian perspective, this is sort of my same argument for why LeBron, I think, should be MVP is because he, every year, my prior belief is that he's the best player in the league. Uh, so you still have
1: LeBron MVP then, right? You haven't you haven't changed
0: that. Um so there's in the after I wrote the the piece that I wrote, um he like the Cavs like completely fell apart for a little while. Yeah, and that's so that's why I was kinda wondering. Um so that was damaging to his case, but I don't really know how much to put the blame on him for that. Um and the the other thing that I do find um somewhat compelling... Well, I, I think you can question his defensive effort at times, certainly. And I think yeah. I mean obviously
1: part of that is like, well, he's not going to go full throttle during the regular season. He's got to kind of conserve himself a bit during the yeah. regular season and and but I mean that kind of I mean I think it's fair to maybe penalize him for that, even though, like, you know, he's not going all out on defense, I guess.
0: Yeah, there's there's a couple of things with LeBron that I think are, are legitimate things to, to put against his candidacy. So there's the the fact that their defense has been so bad for, for quite a while now, and um, I don't necessarily think that that's really his fault, um, because I think that uh if you look at their roster they don't have any defensive players oh no it's
1: i I definitely don't think it's his fault but i just think that like if you compare their roster last year for example i don't know that they're like i don't know that they had any more defensive players necessarily last year but i think um and I, i i think their ranking was like much higher last year right and i think part of that is I don't know. I, I do feel like LeBron's defensively has been a little like recently he hasn't been as good as uh, maybe he. Is, but yeah, maybe I,
0: that way I, off. I don't. I don't think that that's completely unfair. So the, the my argument for him at the time was. He comes into the year every year for me he's number one until uh until the season plays out and he does looks like he's clearly not the best player and He's right at the top of the r p m leaderboard he's towards the top of the b p m leaderboard he's most statistical all in one numbers have him right there towards the top uh and so you know. If you're saying it's a four-way tie, well, then I'm going to go with the guy that I always think is the best player uh, until somebody takes his crown from him. Um, so th- that's kind of like the, my argument for that. Uh, the, the, the Cavs' run of like being awful for like a full month uh, definitely made me kind of hesitate on that um, to some degree. And I think the other like legitimate strike against LeBron is the fact that Westbrook and Harden have played every game. Um, and so, or maybe Harden missed one game. Um, but I think they've both played all, all the games. So I think that that, those, like, that, that's not
1: a significant issue for me. I mean, I think like, obviously, you know, it gives you more, you know, games to accumulate value, obviously. But like, if your level's higher enough to the point where like one or two games, like it, it, one or two games isn't necessarily going to increase your like wins above replacement too. Right. Um, I do you know what I mean
0: yeah I I think it's more of just like um, not even just thinking about it from like a wins above replacement perspective I just mean like um, I'm not I'm not entirely convinced that LeBron this year like you know setting aside what I said about him being always coming in as number one in my mind you know his metrics are not so far and away better than anybody else's that like I can necessarily say well like he's definitely so much better than harden or westbrook that you know those f- five games or however many games it's going to end up being that he that he misses total uh don't matter you know so th- that's my case for that but s- sort of similarly the reason i think i would say curry is would be my my fifth is um he's a two time mvp uh so very strong uh, prior belief that he is incredibly valuable um and He's on the best team in the league, and he's clearly the most important player on the best team in the league. And you can say he was the second most important player for 59 games when Durant was there, but I don't really believe that. I think Durant's numbers were really, really insane, mostly because he was uh, bas- He was shooting catch. I think you can say Durant's numbers were better, right? But maybe is the more valuable, I and mean, that's basically. Yeah, yeah. Like Durant, um, Durant looked a lot better in uh, in Golden State than he did looking uh, in in Oklahoma City, and I think that's largely, no, though not entirely, that's largely due to the impact of the fact that teams have to account for Stephen Curry. Um, in a way that they never had to with Westbrook, his greatest Westbrook. Right, games. his
1: gravity, his, look, his gravity is still the best in the game, and that yeah. doesn't like, go away. So, like, he can have,
0: uh, he can be at a
1: career low three-point percentage, and his gravity is still by far the best in the NBA. Yeah. It's never going to change. So, and in that way, he'll always kind of be a bit, like, underrated by, like, and I, I guess depending on what metric you use, obviously, like, plus-minus metrics are going to be able to capture that, but, like, the box score metrics are never going to be able to truly capture his gravity because that is, like, so unique. E- even with, like, all the three-point attempts and three-point and his three-point percentage, I don't know. I, I guess I, I still don't think that you can necessarily capture that.
0: Yeah, I, I I agree with that. I I would say that his like RPM is gonna be the closest to capturing the impact of his gravity, but like even then I think given the box score prior and I think the box score prior is right. uh has a And from
1: what I've heard the box score prior has actually been like increased this year, like it's yeah. weighted more towards the box score this year that uh
0: Yeah, I think when they went away from when they went away from um uh, doing the multi-year um, data to kind of to make it more of a descriptive metric to some degree they started leaning more on the box score um, it would be nice if they actually kind of maybe not completely opened up the black the black box but like let people know when they make changes like that because um, they they kind of don't and that is Uh, something that annoys me about Real Plus Minus because you don't really know exactly what's in it and you don't know how how they're tweaking it. Um, Well, actually,
1: getting kind of back to what you were saying there about, like, um,
0: so this is one interesting
1: thing I have about MVP. So, like, you were talking earlier about, like, your prior belief. Now, my question, like, so I guess it all depends on how you define the MVP, right? Do you define the MVP um, as kind of, like, just this year or are you taking it into account prior belief like you're saying you were talking about how you're taking in the cap prior belief but you know lot's best player in the, in the nba right but should that matter towards the
0: MVP? I guess um and, and so so my response to that is that uh one is that i can't watch every single game so th- so there's that aspect of it um I, I would like to be able to to watch uh all the games um that's not true. There's some games that I I would I would never watch. Um, they're just you know I, I'm not watching um, the vast majority of the Suns games this year. I'm sorry, Suns fans, but I'm not. Um, but yeah, so uh, I would uh, I even you know I, I can't watch every game, so I have to have something that it informs what I think about these guys to some extent, and you know their prior bodies of work matter. And I would also say that like. Um, you know, we talk a lot about statistical noise and about like what are guys doing on the floor. Um, well obviously there's a lot of noise within one season. I mean that's right. there's no doubt about that. I mean and so that 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 gets to me um that well that just gets to me to like the point of like how how are you measuring a guy's impact? Are you measuring it strictly by a result or are you measuring it by what he did? Because like what he did is going to be kind of like free of that noise, right? Like if you could actually actually accurately measure uh, you know all like did LeBron make the right decision here did he do this did he do that right if you could measure all of those things accurately I think that that would conform more to you know multiple years of data uh, because he's not going to all of a sudden you know forget how to do things the right way um, and his results are oh. not so I that's part of on I rely on my my priors I guess
1: but that kind of gets to me, like, so, so then maybe there should be like two awards because I, I would be kind of in favor of having like, okay, this guy, like a descriptive award for only this season. And like, this guy was the best player for only this season like, or the most valuable. you know, I, I suppose that's actually, that's not true because uh player going to have to have been valuable over kind of multiple seasons for you to truly know how valuable they are. Right. Uh, I don't know if that makes sense, but
0: yeah, I mean, uh, I th- I think like
1: but, it's, it's an interesting. But I mean, yeah, I just meant having like the just the best player for that one year, um, like you know, okay, like so say well, okay, so for this year, like LeBron actually is uh, way well, second in RPM uh, behind Chris Paul, who, by the way, Chris Paul. So I need to give him a a shout out. He, I feel like he's getting really underrated. Um,
0: but well, he didn't even make the All Star team, even though he was he was like first. And you know what? He's probably not going to be an all All NBA team, right? I and mean, maybe maybe the third team.
1: Um, yeah, but I would not be surprised if he's not, right? I mean, I yeah. could see him getting left off partly because I think the kind of the feelings towards the Clippers that like oh they're old and they've been around, so
0: yeah. There he he had a great season for the fifty eight games that he played. It's it is weird to me that like. He could be he could be fifth in MVP. By way, right. is that crazy? Um, yeah. I mean, I don't think that's that's totally crazy. I just think that there's been so many guys that have had incredible seasons that. Oh no, that's, that's just true. not going to happen. Oh
1: um, no, it's not. Oh, I know it's not happening, but I'm just saying it's crazy to say he could be fifth. And...
0: Yeah. No. I mean, so I, one of the things that's interesting to me about that, though, like, is he is going to probably be on third team All NBA or maybe not even on on All NBA team and Kevin Durant probably will still make like probably right. th- probably the second yep. team. Even though they played almost like the exact <laughs> the exact same yeah, number of exactly. games. Yep. Um so that that's kinda weird to me. Um but I guess point guard is a deeper position at the top than than small forward, so or forward in general. So maybe that has something to do with it. But um I Yeah, know. I mean I
1: guess the issue is because you have enough games and you know, uh like if you look at wins above replacement um so his r p m is the top in the league, but he's still like let's see he's still ninth I believe in wins above replacement, so he's
0: yeah, and he's for point guards he's second, so he's only behind Russell Westbrook, <laughs> which is kind of crazy since he hasn't played yeah. in in a long time um but yeah so i I think that those kind of philosophical debates are interesting, but I guess my point about the the priors is is that uh impact um and, and sort of that's how i you know try to quantify who the best player is impact is is trickier in basketball and so it's i think you do have to have some uh incorporation of of you know what you know about a guy going into the season and so um you're not fooled necessarily by something that is kind of fluky or uh, or that sort of thing, but I mean I do understand sort of the the. Well, that's the- why
1: RPM, for example, uses a prior. Like we have, like all these metrics, they use you know, the and and that's why the most long term ones. So I believe RPM has a prior for. Oh no! Wait. The, the the current version of RPM does that have a prior for the previous years or no?
0: No, it used to. Um, okay, yeah, no, to. you're and right. They got I, rid of it I, because got they got rid of that too. because because they came down on the other side of sort of this philosophical debate. They were like, if we're going to be using this for for sort of articles about end of season awards, then we should uh it should be only data from from that particular year. And I understand that argument. I just. Um, well, they could have both
1: versions. I mean, that's yeah, right.
0: but th- th- I think they, <laughs> well, why, why they, is that such an issue? But uh, I, th- I think they probably. Uh, they I guess pro- too confusing. I don't yeah, know. yeah. To have predictive RPM and and regular RPM would be probably more confusing, especially. Well, so then th- just rename it. Yeah, <laughs> rename one to predictive
1: plus minus or something, and then have.
0: Yeah. I don't know. Now, I think that I think that they that they uh, you know they, that they're trying to make that as much for a broader audience as possible, and so the right. more you get into into separating that out, uh, I think you just confuse people, which we which we've maybe done just now on the podcast. But but, but I do think that's important though to yeah. be able to distinguish. Um, yeah, I think that, that to the extent that like they know that there are like. Uh, nerdy people like us that that care about this stuff. I I think that having an article by their analytics group that, like, kind of said, hey, by the way, we're going to lean more heavily on the box score prior now would would have been appreciated. Um, Right. Because, like... Well, here's... I mean, the thing is, though, like, you see many of their writers, um, like,
1: using predictive... Like, they'll say, oh, we use predictive RPM to, you know, determine our projections for the... You know the rockets moving forward or whatever, right? So yeah. they like obviously cited, it. So like, yeah. why not just have it?
0: Well, that that's another possible <laughs> explanation is that uh, that they want to keep it proprietary, so that when they're doing their sort of projection work, that they have something that's just theirs that other people can't just you know borrow and use. Um, that's true. Uh, so th- that's my although opinion, I, I guess I think Jerry published those last year, right? And- yeah he he probably did <laughs> he he publishes his work a lot uh so i don't know but um all right well i guess we're we're starting to run uh pretty long um yeah. and i've it's certainly taken up enough of your evening but um yeah good good discussion on the mvp and i, I think that those kind of philosophical debates are things that people are gonna have uh out there and actually you know what I'll, I'll give you an answer
1: for um who i had my MVP as, and then now I'm not. So I was going to go with Harden as my MVP, but I'm not there now anymore. <laughs> now I'm back to, like, I don't know who. Um, yeah, his, uh,
0: his defensive his defensive numbers have kind of fallen through the floor a little bit recently. So uh, Well, I think part of
1: that is the, well, the defensive numbers, but I think part of the offense being the last few weeks is, is the wrist injury, right? So, yeah. Um, but
0: yeah, – so uh, it's it's gonna be it's gonna be a tight race. I thought for sure Harden had it locked up uh, earlier in the season, but now I kind of feel like Westbrook is gonna win. Um, I,
1: I think realistically, it's probably down to those two between who votes on the media.
0: Yeah. Um. So. Yeah, I maybe- think I think Kawhi is getting short shrift in the discussion. I think some people still like I mentioned LeBron still, um, uh, because he's LeBron, uh, and I I just think that he's had a good enough season that he's the fact that he's LeBron James and that he put up such a great season that he's probably still the best player well, in the world. But Kawhi is, like... Kawhi is getting short, and especially if you look at it from
1: the standpoint of, like, all the luck um, yeah. that's kind of gone against him. Like, so he would be number one in RPM this year. Uh, or not for the opponent three-point, yeah, if he had an average... Uh, and you know what? Maybe maybe I'll go with Kawhi as my MVP then. <laughs>
0: So we'll be the two counterintuitive stats nerds that picked LeBron and, and Kawhi as our Kawhi. MVPs, yep. while everybody else is picking Westbrook and Harden. Yep. <laughs> cool. All right, man. Well, uh, I'm gonna wrap this thing up. I know we've been talking for for quite a while. So, um, yeah, I uh, appreciate you coming on again, and uh, we'll have you on again. Uh, well, I will. I would say soon, but I am so infrequent with these things that uh, that uh, I'm not sure that it'll be soon. But hopefully, hopefully, it will be. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Um, All right. Have a good night, man. You too.